0: Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox, here are today's top stories. President Biden and China's Xi Jinping spoke by phone for over two hours earlier today. What the White House has to say about it. New economic data out, the economy in a recession, but Biden urges Americans to consider other factors. Meanwhile, Democrats push a historic spending bill. The D.C. mayor says the nation's capital is experiencing a humanitarian crisis. She's now asking for the military's help. Should kids be allowed to attend drag shows? Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is fighting a restaurant over this issue. Having kids involved in this is wrong. A mom whose child was taken from her after insisting that her daughter is a girl. We speak with the woman investigating this case. Two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson is the latest to defect from the PGA in favor of a tour that's getting a lot of attention. A two-hour-long call between Biden and Xi today. NTD's Iris Tao has what Washington and Beijing are saying about it and how rising tensions over Taiwan are playing out.
1: Amid rising tensions over Taiwan, President Biden talks with China's Xi Jinping for two hours and 20 minutes in their first call in months. President Biden
2: underscored that the United States policy has not changed and that the United States strongly opposes unilateral efforts to change the status quo or undermine peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait.
1: It comes as Beijing is warning of forceful actions of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi indeed visits the democratically ruled island of Taiwan. In Chinese state media, quotes she as warning Biden that, quote, those who play with fire will perish by it. But the White House declines to say it marks an escalation. They had a, a very direct um,
2: conversation. Um, and that uh, they've known each other for some time. The and in addition, He raised um, uh, genocide and forced labor practices uh, by the PRC. That is something that he raised uh, uh, about the human rights as he always does. But the White House says Biden and she also talked about working together. Uh, With particular focus on climate change and health security. And Senator
1: Ted Cruz tells NTD's Melina Wisecup that he thinks the administration is being too soft on the communist regime.
3: The United States should not purchase electric vehicles that are made with slave labor in concentration camps in China. And I've suggested we name John Kerry the customer of the year for the Chinese concentration camps because he is the single largest purchaser of of products that they are made under forced labor. Reporting in
1: Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News.
0: The latest GDP numbers are out today, revealing an unpleasant trend for the economy. The White House is brushing off the bad news. Here's Biden today trying to make the case for why there are other factors to consider when assessing the state of the economy.
4: Whether or not there, we are in a recession, both Chairman Powell and many of the uh, um, uh, significant uh, banking personnel and economists say we're not in a recession. But let me just give you what the facts are in terms of the state of the economy. Number one, we have a record job market of uh, record unemployment of 3.6%.
0: The economy shrank by nearly 1% during the second quarter. During the first quarter, the economy shrank by 1.6%. This is bad news considering the GDP is an indicator of our economy's overall size and health. Two consecutive quarters of decline is a trend that many economists define as a recession, but the White House has been working all week to message to Americans that isn't the case. And Biden in his speech earlier today praised a new budget bill Democrats have agreed to, saying it'll help tame inflation. Republicans? Exactly the opposite. Here's NTD's Melina Cup with those details.
5: After one year of negotiation talks between Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Senate Leader Chuck Schumer, the two have come to an agreement on the Democrats' Reconciliation Bill. Reconciliation is a word that refers to policy changes to the federal budget. This new bill, dubbed by Democrats as the Inflation Fighting Act of 2022, has many of the provisions that were in that Build Back Better bill, uh, minus the social welfare programs. Here's a look at what's in it. There's hundreds of billions of dollars for renewable energy tax credits to incentivize people to buy electric cars and encourage domestic production of things like solar panels and windmills. They're extending the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, through 2025. And there's an attempt to lower the price of prescription drugs to make sure that seniors and disabled Americans won't pay more than $2,000 per year for pharmacy medicines. And there's over $100 billion that will be set aside for the IRS to give them more enforcement measures to monitor Americans' tax return paperwork. And there's a 15% minimum tax on big corporations. Now, Democrats' goal with this bill is to generate around $700 billion worth of revenue, and $300 billion of that revenue would go towards lowering the federal deficit. President Biden earlier today when he gave his remarks on the economy uh, insisted that this bill would help lower inflation. However, I spoke to Senator Mike Braun, who says the exact opposite. Senator Braun sits on the Budget Committee, and he explained to me why he's not counting on this bill to generate revenue. Here's a bit of our conversation.
6: Uh, This, to me, looks like something that's going to add to the issue, and of course there are things in there everybody's going to like here when you're spending money again, Mm -hmm. and that's what makes the place dysfunctional.
5: You know, and I think the question becomes, um, one could argue that over 10 years, if everything goes as smoothly, they will be able to take down the deficit a little bit by, if if everything goes smoothly, but...
6: Uh, Very easy answer to that. Okay. How smoothly has that occurred over the last two decades? The only thing that smoothly occurred is that our debt has gone up. This place is more dysfunctional, and most Americans wonder what we're doing here.
5: This budget bill is currently being reviewed by the Senate Parliamentarian, that is the Senate Rules Advisor, to make sure it checks all the boxes and meets the standard for reconciliation. After that process is over, Senate Leader Chuck Schumer says he will bring it up to the floor for a vote next week. And after that, we can expect to see the House move quickly to also pass it over on that side of Congress. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News.
0: And in legislation the Democrats say will fight inflation, the House passed the Chips and Science Act today. It's meant to ramp up domestic production of computer chips or semiconductors. 24 Republicans voted to pass it in the House, joining the 17 Republicans who voted yes in the Senate. The Chips and Science Act is now off to the White House for the president's signature. And staying in D.C., Mayor Muriel Bowser says the nation's capital is now dealing with a humanitarian crisis. It's got to do with illegal immigrants, and she's now asking for the military's help. NTD's Jason Perry has that story.
6: Today, Mayor Muriel Bowser confirmed that she's asking for the military's help.
0: So I've asked um, for the deployment
7: of the guard, as long as we need the guard to deal with the humanitarian crisis that we
5: expect to escalate.
6: That crisis being the flow of bus after bus heading to Washington from Texas and Arizona, all voluntarily transporting illegal immigrants. Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Arizona Governor Doug Ducey don't appear to be slowing down the bus trips to Washington anytime soon. Their reason? Here's Abbott on KTEK last week. The, the, the people in Washington, D.C. seem to have a different standard. They think that uh, it's okay to have the open border situation uh, as long as it remains in places like Texas. Uh, we wanted to, to make sure that because Joe Biden has never come to the border, we want to take the border to Joe Biden and let them understand what we are having to deal with uh, right here. And and they are only dealing with about the number of migrants that we have come across our border per day. According to a letter obtained by NBC4 reporter Mark Seagraves, Mayor Bowser says over 4,000 people have arrived at the nation's capital since April. It indicates that Bowser requested the National Guard on the 19th, but reporter Seagraves says no answer yet on her request. We reached out to the Office of the Secretary of Defense and the White House for comment, but we didn't hear back before airtime. Jason Perry, NTD News.
0: And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is fighting back against a Miami restaurant that he says exposes children to drag queen shows. Can the governor put them out of business? NTD's Arlene Richards has the story.
7: When Governor Ron DeSantis saw a video from Dallas showing kids putting money in drag queen's underwear, he didn't hesitate to speak out about it. But when DeSantis saw a similar video at the Our House restaurant in Miami, he had this reaction.
8: Wait a minute. Having kids involved in this is wrong.
7: Our House is a Latin-inspired restaurant owned by a same-sex couple. Since 2017, the restaurant has hosted drag shows on the weekends while serving brunch. The brunch menu features a $30 kids meal. Is there a law against getting kids involved in drag shows?
8: That is not consistent with our law and policy in the state of Florida. And it is a disturbing trend in our society to try to sexualize these young people. That is not the way you look out for our children. You protect children.
7: The Miami Herald reports that DeSantis filed a complaint with a state agency that handles business regulation. According to the Herald, the complaint argues that exposing kids to sexually explicit drag shows is no different than lewd activity. And there is a law against lewdness. The law partly defines lewd activity as enticing a person under 16 years old to inappropriately touch you. DeSantis says there is a procedure that would take away the restaurant's liquor license. NTD reached out to Our House, but they didn't get back to us before broadcast time. According to the Herald, Our House ownership said in a statement they were aware of the complaint and are currently working with the state agency to resolve the problem. They say they hope DeSantis will see the matter as a misunderstanding and resolve it positively and promptly. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York.
0: And now to the personal story of a mom who says her child was taken from her after her daughter said she identified as transgender and felt unsafe around her mother at the age of 12. Jeanette Cooper says her daughter Sophia came home one day saying she was trans. What happened next seemed to tear the two apart. Jeanette says she insisted on her daughter's original sex at birth. But Jeanette's ex husband, lawyers, therapists, and other individuals and institutions reportedly worked to push her to affirm her daughter's new identity, which she would not do. Three years later, Jeanette can now only contact her daughter by postal mail. Legally, she's no longer allowed near her own daughter. Earlier today, I spoke with Kelsey Bowler, a senior policy analyst at the Independent Women's Forum, who investigated Jeanette's case, to learn more. Kelsey Bowler, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. Now, you've been investigating Jeanette Cooper's case. Could you give us a brief summary of what's happened here?
9: Absolutely. Jeanette Cooper might sound like an extreme case where uh, a parental custody battle uh, was really weaponized uh, because of the gender ideology movement and used to separate a biological child from her mother. Um, But while it sounds extreme, this is really the logical conclusion of the gender ideology movement, which tells us, you know, if a child claims they are unsafe, we have to believe them and take every precaution we believe necessary in order to, quote unquote, protect that child or save that child. And in this case, Saving that child meant saving that child from a mother who simply insisted that her daughter was a girl. Um, you know, this happened in, in Chicago, uh, there, it was surrounded by a lot of uh, systems, institutions, therapists, uh, who very much follow this affirmation only model. And so while it, the story on its face sounds hard to believe, again, it's really the natural conclusion of what this movement is telling, Our American society.
0: And why has Jeanette chosen not to affirm her daughter's chosen identity?
9: I'd really encourage uh, anyone watching this to watch the full video for yourselves published on IWF.org, particularly the last 60 seconds where Jeanette explains this in her own words. She, uh, She gives us this beautiful analogy comparing herself to a lighthouse, that she is supposed to be a lighthouse of consistency and truth for her daughter. And when her daughter is facing troubling waters, Uh, Her job as a parent is not to hook her boat to her daughters and confirm lies to her. It is to be a stable institution of truth in her life. And that is exactly what she is doing now, even though she has no contact with her daughter aside from postal mail. The only way she can communicate with her daughter is through written letters. She cannot call her, she cannot text her, she cannot see her, she knows where she goes to school, she knows where she lives just 10 minutes down the street, but she cannot see her. People, as Jeanette will tell you, people who are imprisoned have more communication with their children than she does. Um, It it is really devastating, and I, I hope it begs people to ask, how is this movement that brands itself as tolerant and compassionate supporting the physical separation of a mother from the child whom she loves?
0: Yeah. So do you think this transgender ideology or the push to only affirm gender identities has become a wedge between parents and children? Absolutely.
9: We're seeing this play out in the schools uh, where public schools are affirming children behind parents' backs, uh, using pronouns and made-up names without parental knowledge or consent, uh, even, uh, you know, having biological girls' room overnight with with boys without parental knowledge or consent. Um, You know, I think any parent would be alarmed uh, if they knew the extent to which uh, this movement has captured our public institutions, including the courts, including the mental health profession, including our schools. It is extremely alarming. I can tell you, as a mother of a young daughter myself, um, it's terrifying, And, and that is why you know when we hear these stories that you know it starts with pronoun usage in schools but it just spirals and and in th- and, and this case this you know kind of extreme case is the natural conclusion where a mother who insists that her daughter is a girl is no longer to even allowed to even see her
0: and for parents who are concerned that this could happen to them what could be done how complex is this issue It's incredibly complex uh, that
9: a mother is faced with the choice between lying to her child or being able to spend time with her child, to parent her child. Uh, This requires parental involvement in schools. It requires tough conversations at home, and it requires uh, us to all overcome the political correctness that has hindered our ability to have open and honest conversations about this issue. Nobody loves their children more than parents. Uh, that is incredibly clear. If you watch this video of Jeanette Cooper, she unconditionally loves her daughter and no parent should be ripped away from a child whom they love uh, simply for an, a, a disagreement of this kind. It's really sad that as a society, this is where we are, um, but you know, this is something we all have to wake up to and realize there are very real consequences to going down this path.
0: THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION IS TAKING STEPS TO CLAMP DOWN ON SO-CALLED CONVERSION THERAPY, WHICH INCLUDES THERAPY FOR PEOPLE WITH GENDER DYSPHORIA. HOW COULD THIS IMPACT FAMILIES LIKE JEANETTE'S?
9: IT'S REALLY UNFORTUNATE THAT EVERY INSTITUTION ALL THE WAY UP TO THE WHITE HOUSE, INCLUDING PRESIDENT JOE BIDEN, IS TELLING PARENTS THEY MUST AFFIRM, IS REPEATING THE LIE THAT IF THEY DO NOT AFFIRM, uh, THEY IN SOME WAY WILL BE RESPONSIBLE FOR THEIR CHILD COMMITTING SUICIDE, WHICH WE KNOW IS absolutely not true. Uh, This is very different from any LGB issue. This is a T issue that involves medical services that will have lifelong implications on children, sew them into the medical industrial uh, complex. And very understandably, when parents are experiencing this, uh, they do not wanna jump to an affirmation only model. Many of them react with kindness, with compassion, giving them space to explore, but not jumping to affirm something that this child is is might just be explored. We know the vast, vast majority of children. This is just a phase. And as a society, we need to create more space for children to go through these phases instead of uh, pushing an affirmation-only model, which unfortunately boxes children into this and and actually encourages them to take it even uh, further and and pursue medical treatments that can have irreversible effects.
0: Kelsey Bowler, Senior Policy Analyst at the Independent Women's Forum, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Jeanette refuses to affirm her child's preferred identity. Many experts would write this off as wrongheaded, but a psychiatrist tells us that affirming a child's transgender identity could come with severe consequences. Our reporter explores the issue.
10: Dr. Miriam Grossman, a psychiatrist, has been working in the field of sexuality and gender for over 15 years. She says people who take drugs or get surgery to try to live as the opposite sex pay a high price for it.
11: They're moving toward sterility, not being able to have biological children. Uh, Many of them are going to be uh, dysfunctional sexually and uh, they still have an extremely high rate of suicide."
10: Nowadays, kids are being told that they can be whatever gender they want. Even the President of the United States said in March it's important that parents support that idea. Last week, Assistant Secretary for Health and Human Services Rachel Levine said we should empower children to get sex-changing treatment. Grossman says that kids are being indoctrinated and led down a very dangerous path.
11: People need to listen to the detransitioners, the young people who have been down that path, and then a few years later regret it and wake up and realize what's happened to them. And those young people are filled with rage and sadness.
10: She says the people who detransition can't understand why the adults and experts they depended on allowed them and even encouraged them to transition in the first place. In the past, parents have lost custody of their children because they didn't affirm the child's gender identity. Grossman says that could happen to you too.
11: I talk to families every day who are going through this. I get emails every day. All that needs to occur is that one day out of the blue, your child uh, announces at the dinner table that they're the opposite sex.
10: Grossman encourages parents to go to her website, MiriamGrossmanMD.com, to find out what steps they can take now to avoid ending up in a situation like that of Jeanette Cooper. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News.
0: Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is resigning from the law school course he has been teaching at George Washington University. The course's co-instructor, Judge Gregory Maggs of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces, broke the news. In an email to the university, Maggs said that sadly, Thomas is unavailable to teach the course this fall. Thomas is also no longer listed as an instructor for George Washington University. Clarence Thomas ruled to overturn Roe v. Wade along with the other conservative Supreme Court justices. The university had refused to fire Thomas from its faculty after he faced backlash from thousands of George Washington University students who signed a petition asking for his removal. Students and others have been protesting outside of the school, raising security concerns for Justice Thomas. And in food security and climate change news, Canada is rolling out policies to force farmers to cut carbon emissions to a point that the farmers say it would affect food production. Ireland may be eyeing a similar plan, and the Dutch government announced drastic nitrogen reduction goals last month. The governments have emissions targets and plenty of people to feed. Here to discuss the issue is Kelly Walker. He's a former United States Department of Agriculture soil scientist and a proponent of organic farming, and I spoke with him earlier today. Kelly Walker, welcome to our show.
3: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: Now, Canada has proposed synthetic fertilizer restrictions similar to the Netherlands, and Ireland is also looking at doing the same thing. You've been outspoken against policies that abruptly deny farmers the use of these fertilizers. Could you explain some of your concerns?
3: Sure, I worked as a soil scientist for the USDA, specifically the Natural Resources um, Conservation Service and, and several other agencies, so I was involved in that for a long time. My concern is, that these these prohibitions or reductions don't really take uh, a lot of factors into play, like soil health, the different types of soil, the, the, I'd say, very differing factors among soils around the world and even regionally. So it's, I think, a radical policy to just say, hey, we're going to reduce the fertilizers by a certain amount. We really need to do things like measure the organic matter and soil fertility and that type of thing and I'm, I'm definitely a proponent of using organics when and where we can but we have to do it in a wise manner and there are a lot of professionals uh who aren't necessarily motivated by an ideology as much as good soil health good crop production and uh, food sources for people
0: for countries that are trying to go organic 100 percent do you think that's possible and for them to still feed their populations to
3: the same extent that they need to? In general, I don't. And I, I spent a year in Sri Lanka uh, back in the 90s teaching, and Sri Lanka is, is case in point. They eliminated nitrogen fertilizers rapidly and went organic, and it's been devastating to the country. I still have contact with a lot of people there. In fact, I'm in contact uh, with the, ministry, the Minister of Agriculture there now, and it, it has been devastating. Uh, you know, Epic Times, Joshua Phillips is following up with some interviews there. But you can't necessarily make this, this switch so quickly because you may not have a sufficient amount of organics in the soil to sustain crop production. So I think goals, reasonable goals can be made, but it has to be a transition period. And I'm not convinced that in every situation. You can completely eliminate synthetic fertilizers if you want to get higher crop production off the land to feed people.
0: So, in your view, what could happen if we continue, if governments around the world continue implementing these nitrogen bans?
3: I think Sri Lanka is a, is a good canary in the mine shaft, you might say. It's a good case study of what can happen, and you had a, a really a breakdown of society. Uh, crop failure. You know, when I taught, we lived up in the hill country where a lot of tea was grown, vegetables, that kind of thing. And first and foremost, they have to feed their their people, but they also depend on exports of the tea and and different items there. And if the land's not producing, suddenly your whole economy breaks down. Um, People are having trouble getting food. And that's what we saw. And again, it's not necessarily that that I'm knocking organic methods. I think they're very important. I've been a lifelong proponent of a soil health and the microbes in the soil but when you are taking such a radical quick step it can have disastrous consequences and that, and we've seen that in sri lanka it, it's it's led to starvation and, and death and, and a lot of problems that they're working on now
0: you've said that a less centralized approach will help tailor solutions to this problem in your view what's the best approach here
3: i think we have a war of worldviews here one is that the government takes uh over private property. The government runs things. Uh, they, they determine food production, where there's been talk about bug farms, literally feeding people bugs. But the, the traditional method, I think, is a, is a very good one and one that we need to move toward, whereas we have more private uh, land ownership, more education, helping people be more sufficient. We'll, we'll always need some, some large-scale farms for certain products. But a move toward getting people back to the land, which is great uh, psychologically, mentally, as, as well. It's funny people talk about grounding, you know, walking around barefoot and and the health benefits, you know, if you have a little piece of land and you're working it, even at even a garden, it's it's so good for the soul. And, you know, moving toward large state owned farms that didn't work well in the Soviet Union. It didn't work well in China. And it's it's a very bad idea. So I think decentralization, getting people more self-sufficient, focusing on education, Uh, We don't need more legislation necessarily. We need more education because most people do care about the land, especially if they own a piece of it. They want it to be healthy.
0: Kelly Walker, former United States Department of Agriculture soil scientist, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up in Southern California, a sheriff's deputy talked about the difficulties they're facing in illegal marijuana sellers marketing towards children. They're doing it by making edible marijuana candies disguised as brand name sweets. And they're even using new ways to avoid law enforcement. Two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson is the latest to defect from the PGA in favor of a tour that's getting a lot of attention. NTD's Dave Martin breaks down the implications of the defection. (music) Despite California legalizing marijuana, there are still plenty of people breaking the law in the drug sale. NTD's Jackie Rios heard from a local sheriff's department about how illegal sellers are marketing the drug towards kids.
12: Protecting our children is a job that never ends. And now that job has become more complicated as marijuana packaged to look like candy could make its way into the hands of our youngsters. The Alley County Sheriff's Department tells us more. On July 20th, the Altadena Sheriff's Station in Los Angeles issued a warning to parents about marijuana dispensaries packaging their edibles to look like children's treats. Deputy Arthur Valiant explains the dangers uh, associated with marijuana products that look like popular candy.
13: You think it's like a regular Reese's Pieces or a Snickers, but if you actually look at the label it says THC Snickers or instead of Starburst it says Star Buds. our issue with it is, what if it's an English second language family and the kids real, realistically just come home and the parents don't really pay attention and they only know na- labels and they see, oh, it looks like Reese's Pieces or Snickers or anything like that. They're not going to really pay attention to it. Wow.
12: Deputy Balian really said packaging marijuana products in this way is illegal
13: but at least it is highly illegal to label it in a certain way as if like if it's a Rice Krispies treat or a cereal or type of thing because um, they have laws against it so children don't see it or try to get their hands on it or try to see that, oh, it's a cereal, let me try it. And then they have effects within the marijuana product or the edible product. So it is illegal in the state of California um, to label these items as... Candies OR DESSERTS OR ANY CEREALS, ANYTHING LIKE THAT.
12: BALIAN SAID ONE MAIN PROBLEM IS ILLEGAL MARIJUANA POP-UP SHOPS. THE SHOPS SAY THEY'RE SELLING FOOD OR DRINK BUT INSTEAD ARE SELLING THE DRUG WITHOUT A LICENSE. BUT HE SAYS THE SHOP OWNERS ARE EXPLODING THE SLOW SPEED AT WHICH THE LEGAL SYSTEM WORKS.
13: THE PROBLEM WE'RE FACING IS they have due process. We can't just go in there and shut down the place. We have to look at what they're selling, get complaints, get warrants, get judges to sign it, so we can actually go and arrest people who are doing it, shut down the place. But another problem we see is once we do shut it down, they're up and running already in a couple days. Within a couple days, so a week to a month, they're up and running at a different location. The main aspect or the main hurdle we have is the due process.
12: for parents who are worried, Balian mentioned the best way is to communicate with their children.
13: Just communicate with your kids, show them what the dangers are, talk to them, have open line of communications. If they have questions, ask it. It's just We just wanted to bring this to light so parents could understand what's out there so they're not surprised if something happens down the line.
12: Keeping a close watch on where your children purchase their treats will aid greatly in keeping them safe,
0: healthy, and out of harm's way. Jackie Rios, NTD News, Los Angeles. And staying in California, a Los Angeles mother says her son is suffering injuries after he received a COVID 19 vaccine without her knowing. Now she's preparing to sue the school district. NTD's Eileen Nang has that story.
14: Maribel Duarte has a 13-year-old son who was injured after getting a COVID-19 vaccine. She claims he was vaccinated without her consent, and now he suffers from side effects. In response, she is planning to sue the Los Angeles School District with the help of her attorney, Nicole Pearson.
15: Is that children are already subject to extreme pressures. They're very desperate to get back to school. And then now we have school vaccination clinics that basically promise them the return to normalcy.
14: Dorote's son attends Barack Obama Global Preparation Academy in the Los Angeles Unified School District. She didn't vaccinate her son after advice from a pediatrician due to the child's chronic childhood asthma, bleeding issues, and other health concerns. She alleges her son and his peers were bribed with free pizza and a party if they got the COVID-19 vaccine. He was vaccinated at a vaccination clinic on campus. The adult at the clinic, whose affiliation is unknown, told the child to sign his mother's name and not tell anyone. After the vaccine, her son experienced breathing and bleeding issues, shortness of breath, chronic fatigue depression and anxiety among other things and is receiving medical treatment
15: children even before a law was on the books as young as 13 are already being pressured to give consent and so now if there's a law we can only imagine how many more children will be giving informed consent not realizing all the reasons why their parents never got them vaccinated and all the reasons why their parents didn't give consent
14: The law firm is also fighting Senate Bill 866, introduced by Senator Scott Wiener. It would lower the age of vaccine consent to 15. The California legislature is set to vote on the bill in August. Pearson says the bill violates the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act.
15: We are preparing the lawsuit right now. Obviously, it'll be against the district and against the school. We're still in the process of finding out who were the actual physical bad actors, but we will be suing everybody that was involved in in authorizing and administering and rolling out the vaccination clinic and giving uh, Moises the vaccine that day and who's responsible for not responding to their legally viable uh, government claims.
14: Under current law, children cannot give consent until 18. Earlier in July, a judge ruled in favor of a father of a 12-year-old in the same school district who challenged the COVID vaccine mandate. Eileen Eng, NTD News, California.
0: A Los Angeles bridge that cost nearly $600 million to build closed two weeks after opening. The city's police department says it was shut down due to illegal activity. About 12 hours after the LAPD announced the closing, it announced it was reopening again on Wednesday morning. At a meeting, the LAPD chief said that since it opened, the bridge has become a place where people are going to gather and conduct exhibitions. He was making reference to individuals taking over the bridge. They carry out dangerous car stunts that often end in injuries and collisions. Spectators have also climbed on the bridge's arches. The police chief said the incidents are drawing limited resources away from more pressing duties. The LAPD says the bridge has been closed down several times since it opened earlier this month, including every night over the past weekend. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories.
4: Two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson will be joining the Live Golf League, according to reports by The Telegraph. Watson will reportedly be paid a guaranteed 40 million dollars to switch leagues. The 43 year old who's currently ranked 86th in the world was once ranked as high as second. Watson's defection means the Saudi-backed tour has now signed nine of the past 19 winners of the Masters tournament. I talked to James Ward senior editor at Golf Today about whether Liv is getting big enough to warrant a discussion of merging with PGA but he sees several problems with that, starting with the length of their events.
8: 72 holes of play is the standard, and having a 36-hole cut has become the standard for for world golf. Live is a 54-hole event that plays a shotgun start, which means players will start at a different hole, but they'll all start at the same time and finish at roughly the same
4: time. Ward also sees an issue with the way LIV pays even the last place finishers.
8: As Tiger Woods put it, there's really no incentive to improve because you're going to get paid no matter what you shoot. Out there on the PGA Tour, you don't get paid if you don't make the cut. So, you know, this is this is all going to have to get sorted out.
4: Another potential roadblock according to Ward is the origin of LIV's purse money
8: money is coming from places like Saudi Arabia and coming from China does that does that really bode well for golf that the money is coming from countries that really have human rights issues of a major sort.
4: Live's next event starts Friday at Trump National Golf Club Bedminster in New Jersey. In college football news Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh said this past weekend that we'll raise that baby if someone in his family or even program has an unplanned pregnancy. Harbaugh, who is Catholic, has recently become outspoken regarding his pro-life stance. He made his latest comments in an interview over the weekend with ESPN. Last week, Harbaugh was a keynote speaker at the Plymouth Right to Life event in Plymouth, Michigan. The former NFL coach, known as one of the best motivators in football, said, I believe in having the courage to let the unborn be born. He was then asked about his recent comments Tuesday at the Big Ten media days, saying he considers abortion to be, quote, the most horrendous thing I could possibly conceive. Harbaugh's Wolverines start the season on September 3rd against Colorado State. In NFL news, Cincinnati quarterback Joe Burrow will miss the start of the team's training camp after having an appendectomy on Tuesday. Burrow was released from the hospital Wednesday, which was the same day the Bengals started training camp. Head coach Zach Taylor said there's no timetable for his return. Burrow, who was the first pick in the 2020 draft, led the team to a surprising Super Bowl appearance last year. The 25-year-old led the league in completion percentage while throwing for more than 4,500 yards and led the team to -to back-to-back playoff road wins. Cincinnati starts the season at home on September 11th against Pittsburgh. And finally, tonight is the annual congressional baseball game held at the nation's capital. The Republican versus Democrat showdown will have heightened security as several climate activist groups have threatened to protest this year's contest. Five years ago, a gunman opened fire on a practice held by the Republican Party. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph.
0: Thanks, Dave. And coming up, China's growing space capabilities are raising alarm in America. What's the concern? The Chinese regime is sending troops and tanks to participate in Russia's international army games. One of the events will take place closer to the United States. China's growing space development is a threat to America. That's according to U.S. Space Force General John Raymond. Why is it a concern? NTD's Chenny Wu has the story.
16: The competition between the U.S. and China is extending beyond the Earth into outer space. At the Aspen Security Forum last week, U.S. Chief of Space Operations General John Raymond called Beijing's increasing capability in outer space a threat to the U.S.,
17: Uh, The first thing that they're doing is they're building space capabilities for their own use. So just like we've enjoyed space capabilities that we've been able to integrate, uh, China has built uh, a space program to do the same thing. Uh, That provides them advantage and that provides risk to our forces.
16: Space is a critical domain for competition between world powers. That's because virtually all of the world's most vital systems, from GPS to missile defense to international banking verification, are space-based. And Raymond says that space is getting more congested and contested. Both China and Russia see space as a must for winning modern wars. U.S. intelligence says they've been working to undercut U.S. space development. Beijing has been catching up fast. NOW TO THE POINT THAT ITS SPACE CAPABILITIES ARE ALMOST ON PAR WITH WASHINGTON'S.
17: CHINA HAS GONE FROM ZERO TO 60 VERY QUICKLY Uh, AND THEY ARE CLEARLY uh, OUR PACING CHALLENGE.
16: RAYMOND SAYS CHINA IS WORKING TO DEVELOP TECHNOLOGIES THAT COULD SEIZE THE MILITARY, CIVIL OR COMMERCIAL ADVANTAGE. THAT'S AS OUTER SPACE PLAYS A BIGGER AND BIGGER ROLE ON THE WORLD STAGE. ASKED IF HE SEES CHINA IS ACTING MORE AGGRESSIVELY IN SPACE,
17: I would say on the conflict side or war side, it's just war. And some people, some nations might choose to fight war on the air, in the land, in the sea, now in space. And so I don't think there's a a set game plan that says they're going to start here and do this and do this. But it's clearly a domain that could provide them advantage as well.
16: Another challenge is that since space exploration and technology is relatively new, What nations can or cannot do isn't fully established.
17: Uh, We are really working hard to kind of the rules-based order, if you will, in space. And today, one of the challenges is there are no rules or very few rules. It's the wild, wild west.
16: For one, Raymond brought up the issue of space debris. He said in 2007, China conducted a missile test that blew up a satellite turning it into around 3,000 pieces of debris. The U.S. and its allies have refrained from those kinds of tests, since the long-lasting debris could damage other satellites and be a danger to astronauts. To that end, Raymond said that establishing rules of the road for the international community is vital to securing space, and that if there's an international framework, China's hostile actions in space could be measured and recorded. Chani Wu, NTD News. China
0: is sending troops, tanks and vehicles to Russia's August Army Games, a routine event since 2015. It's attracting some new participants this year. Here's more.
2: Chinese troops are on their way to Moscow for Russia's August International Army Games. Chinese state broadcaster CCTV reports the Chinese delegation includes personnel, military tanks and other vehicles. The forces recently started their train ride from Inner Mongolia, heading toward Russia's Far East. The Russian event has a nickname, the War Olympics. Started in 2015, the Games are led by Russia's Defense Ministry. This year's event is expected to attract almost 40 countries and regions across the world, including Russia, Iran, India, Venezuela and China. Venezuela will host the Sniper Competition, which will mark the first time the Russian-led exercises are staged in the Western Hemisphere. Washington-based think tank, the Center for a Secure Free Society, released a report saying the decision is for China, Russia, Iran and Venezuela to quote pre-position forward deployed military assets in Latin America and the Caribbean. And also for the first time, two African countries will participate in the August Games. China has been regularly taking part in the game since the event's debut. The country will also host three competitions this year as part of it, including a frigate race. China and Russia have intensified joint military exercises since 2005, especially in the last few years. That's including drills by the Air Force and Navy.
0: The U.K.'s National Security Advisor said the risk of an accidental nuclear war with China is growing. That as the regime expands its nuclear arsenal in disregard for international arms control mechanisms. In a virtual speech in Washington, D.C., Sir Stephen Lovegrove warned of the pace and scale with which China is expanding its nuclear and conventional arsenals. He said the world is entering a, quote, dangerous new age of proliferation. In particular, he said the U.K. has clear concerns about China's nuclear modernization program. Sir Stephen warned that the risk of nuclear conflict could be greater today than at the height of the Cold War. He said during the Cold War, the West had a series of negotiations and dialogues with the USSR, adding that this gave us both a higher level of confidence that we would not miscalculate our way into nuclear war. Today, we do not have the same foundations with others who may threaten us in the future, particularly with China and Britain's defense ministry said Ukraine's counteroffensive is gathering momentum in the Russian-controlled southern Ukrainian city of Kherson. The assessment comes after Ukrainian forces struck a bridge that is key for supplying Russian troops in southern Ukraine. Here's NTD's John D with more.
18: Russian forces suffered a setback in southern Ukraine's Kherson region after Ukrainian forces struck an important bridge straddling the Dnipro River. Footage posted on social media showed at least six large holes in its surface. The Antonivsky Bridge is the city of Kherson's sole span across the river. Ukraine has spoken of launching a major counteroffensive in the south of the country to try to retake cities such as Kherson. Rendering the bridge unusable for Russian forces is seen by Western military analysts as something that would make it much harder for Moscow's forces to operate smooth supply lines and defend the land they have seized since February. British military intelligence said Russia's 49th Army, stationed on the west bank of the Dnipro River, now looks highly vulnerable. The Russian-appointed city administration said the bridge had been closed to traffic after the strike, but its structural integrity has not suffered. Its deputy head denied the fate of the bridge would determine the course of the war in any way. He said Russia was ready to compensate for its being taken out of action with pontoon bridges and ferries.
0: Coming up, brace yourself for cuteness overload. A Canadian farm boy and his enduring friendship with a unique guard animal named Snickers. We'll have the details for you in just a moment. When a family farm brought in a new guard animal to protect their alpacas, they didn't realize it had plans to adopt their toddler. We take a look at the dynamic duo.
3: Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody.
1: Meet the Coppers. They live on Cloud Nine Acres, an alpaca farm in Ontario, Canada. After one of their six alpacas got attacked by a neighbor's dog, Brandon and Damaris Coppert knew it was time to bring in a guard animal, an unusual guard animal. <laughs> We met him, and we fell in love with him, and uh, yeah, that, the rest is kind of history. Snickers! Do you got to go say hi? When seven-year-old Snickers arrived at the cupboards farm, everyone was very curious about him, especially the toddler Gunner. Gunner and Snickers would just both come up to the fence and um, they would just stand there and Gunner would just pet Snickers and Snickers would just love all the attention that Gunner was giving him. He was looking for you. In the, the donkey straight away took to their son and a sweet bond was formed. It was just so cute to see Gunner's excitement to anytime Snickers would come. Hi, hey, Snickers! Gunner always has to make sure that Snickers has his grain, because we always feed the ladies their grain, and Snickers has to have his grain. It's a special brush for his hair. Yeah. Yeah. He learns a lot of responsibility, which is, is so nice. Um, and he passes that on to his little sister because she sees how much he enjoys doing it. Now good friends, the donkey keeps watch over his young charge like a protective big brother. I just love watching their excitement, the excitement of the kids getting to see their animals and um, taking care of them. Um, that's probably my favorite thing. Is Snickers have a heart? Yeah, Snickers has a heart. Regularly posting updates on their social media, Demaris is told the pair's friendship brightens people's day. A lot of people say that they will come to our page first thing in the morning just to get a smile on their face. It's a win-win situation with Snickers finding a happy home abundant with cuddles and treats and three-year-old Gunnar gaining a trusted companion. And that's all for today's
0: news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.